Something happened on December the 30th, 1983, in New York City, that would change the world and come back and save New York City 36 years later. December 30th, 1983 was a freezing cold day, sub-zero temperature that day. And there was a New York City firefighter named Eugene Puglisi who was fixing a broken pipe in Soho. And as he's doing his business with the pipe, a Samaritan comes running up and says, there's a fire, there's a fire. So Eugene Puglisi drops what he's doing and he runs towards the fire and he sees a six-story building going up in smoke. Thick smoke billowing from this building. And he can assess that, looking at it, that the origin of the fire is on the sixth floor, the top floor of this building. He runs into the building and there is a woman who is crying. My little girl, my little girl. She's on the sixth floor. So Puglisi takes this woman and escorts her out of harm's way. And then he goes into the fire in search of this little girl. He climbs up six flights of stairs. When he gets to the top of the sixth floor, the source of the fire, there is smoke, there is thickness, there is darkness. He cannot breathe and he cannot see, but he has a mother's cry, my little girl, my little girl's on the sixth floor. So he goes on his hands and knees and starts trying to grope and feel if he can find a little girl. And thank God he does. He finds a little girl. She's not breathing. She's not conscious. He takes her on his shoulders and he runs down six flights of stairs. When he gets to the bottom out of the burning building, he does mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation on her and gives her to the EMT people in the ambulance. And thank God, in the ambulance, she comes to, she wakes up, she starts to cry. She's alive. That story of Eugene Puglisi's amazing rescue, up six flights, down six flights, carrying a little girl, in a burning building was the front cover story of the New York Daily News the next day. And he took that article and he laminated it and he hung it on his wall in his living room and he always regarded saving this little girl's life as by far the most important thing he ever did in his many year career as a firefighter. And yet, for many years, he never heard from this little girl. Her name was Deirdre Taylor. She was four years old at the time. She grows up knowing that she had been in a fire, that she was on the top floor of the burning building where the fire originated. She grows up knowing that she was not breathing and that she was not conscious. 
She grows up knowing that some heroic New York firefighter named Jean Puglisi went up and down six flights of stairs to get her out of the fire and back to life. And she also has this laminated article from the New York Daily News that tells the story of her own survival. And she keeps it in underneath her bed in a keepsake memento file. So roll the film forward. Deirdre Taylor grows up and she gets married and she has children and her chosen career is to be a nurse in an emergency room in a hospital in Alexandria, Virginia. And the more she does this work in the emergency room, the more she is drawn to the man who saved her life. And she realizes she never thanked him. And she realizes that she should thank him because she realizes that she is with other families on their very worst day. She's with families when they are in the emergency room. And she's with them and with her help and that of her colleagues. Hopefully most of those patients get out of the emergency room back to life and yet she never hears from them. So she tries to reach out to Eugene Puglisi. She Googles him, she can't find him. And then she thinks maybe he's a courageous firefighter. He came into the burning building for me. Maybe he went into the towers on 9-11. She can't find him. He is retired living in New Jersey. And he often wonders, whatever happened to that little girl that I saved on that cold day? And she's a nurse in Virginia. And she often wonders, whatever happened to that courageous firefighter who saved me on that cold day? How do we know what the impact is of the deed that we do? Imagine you do a deed. You do a deed and it's done. What follows from that deed? And there's a beautiful teaching in a Mishnah called Peah, 1-1, that says, that when we do good in the world, we don't only do good, we do infinite good. The language of the Mishnah is Ein Lahem Shior. You can't count the good. You can't count it, you can't limit it, you can't quantify it, you can't contain it. Because the good that we do has a life of its own. And then it ripples, and then it echoes, and then it continues endlessly. And that's not metaphorically endlessly. That's literally endlessly. So imagine the following scenarios. I mean, this is real. You all know this. You all know this. But the language of the Mishnah, Ein Lahem Shiur, can't count it, can't quantify it, can't contain it. It's endless. You know this. You're a doctor or you're a nurse. You're in a medical team and you save a life and you heal a patient. You did good, you did good, you saved that patient, but you didn't only do good, you did infinite good. Because who knows what this patient is gonna do with their new lease on life that they wouldn't have had without you. You're a teacher. You inspire your student with a love of learning. You did good, 
You did good. You taught this student. That's fabulous. But not only good, you did infinite good. Because who knows what this student who is inspired is going to do for humanity. You raise a child. You go through Sa'ar Gidul Banim, the kishka of raising children. But the rewards for the kishka of raising children are commensurately infinite. Because who knows what this child whom you've brought into the world and lovingly raised is going to do for, the, for humanity. You are a devoted adult child to your elderly parent. That's good, but it's infinite good. Because you're setting a standard of love and concern for how the generations treat one another. Now here's the thing that is just so important about this concept of infinite good. As long as you're alive, you can do infinite good. As long as you draw breath, like today, tomorrow, if you're alive, you wake up in the morning, you're alive, you can do infinite good. My colleague, Ed Feinstein, tells this amazing story. Ed Feinstein's father was living in an assisted living facility uh, in California, Los Angeles, near where Ed lives. And Ed would visit him all the time. And one day, Ed drives to this assisted living facility. It's kind of like a new bridge. There's an assisted living, and there's an independent living, and there's a hospital. It's a whole complex. And he goes there one day, and his father says, I can't see you now. I got to go. I got to go. What do you mean you can't see me now, Dad? I'm your son. Why can't you see me? I don't have time. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. And he brushes aside, and off he goes. So Ed Feinstein goes to the nurse's desk and to the, gets some information, and he says, you know, I'm Mr. Feinstein's son. I'm basically his only visitor. He doesn't have a car. He doesn't have anywhere to go. He doesn't have anywhere to get to. I'm his only visitor, but he won't see me. Do you know why he won't see me? And he doesn't even have the time to talk and tell me why he can't see me. The nurse's desk says, oh my God, you're Mr. Feinstein's son. This is unbelievable. This nurse's desk tells Rabbi F. Feinstein that in the hospital, they got a patient a few weeks ago who was a teenager who had been involved in a bike accident and was very badly injured. And he was being treated in one of the beds in this hospital and uh, this young man would not eat and basically had given up on wanting to live and they were keeping him alive with, you know, intravenous nutrition. But his parents, his siblings, his doctors, nobody could get him to eat. And this nurse's desk explains to Rabbi Ed Feinstein, then your dad heard about this and your dad didn't know him, but your dad just went one afternoon to go and see him and knocked on the door and said, hey, I don't know you, you don't know me. We're just fellow citizens, fellow humans in this world. Can I sit with you? And started to talk to him and to draw him out and to listen to his story and to hear what was going on and to ask him what his thoughts were and why he was not wanting to eat. And Rabbi Feinstein's father just heard this young man 
listen, and then they said, I'll tell you what, I hear all that, but would you do me a favor? Would you just, will you just eat something? If I hold one of your hands, will you just eat? And Rabbi Feinstein's father took one of this young man's son, this young man's hand, and held it. And this young man started to eat and to revive and to come back to life. And then every night, Ed Feinstein's father would sit with this young man and would be with him and encourage him to eat so that he actually ate. And that's where he was going that night. That's why he was too busy to see his only visitor, his son. And the coda to the story is that this teenager got back his strength, got back his will to live, and got back to life. Ed Feinstein's dad didn't do good. He did good. He did infinite good. Which brings us back to the story of the firefighter and Deirdre Taylor. So roll the film forward 36 years. It's now March of 2020. She lives with her husband and kids in Alexandria, Virginia. And she's reading about what's happening in New York. She had left New York as a little girl shortly after the fire. And she's reading about the fact that New York is the hotspot of hotspots in March of 2020 with this pandemic. And she says to her husband and she says to her kids, I feel called, I feel claimed, I feel summoned. I feel like I have to go to New York, can I go? And they said, by all means. She packs up and she takes one thing with her. She goes underneath her bed and she gets the laminated article from December 31, 1983 about how her life was saved as a four-year-old girl. And she goes to New York and she's bound and determined that she is going to find Eugene Puglisi, if he still lives, and thank him. So she gets to New York and she goes to a hospital, she goes to an emergency room, and for two weeks she is just on, full on, all the time. She's never seen a situation like this. She's never seen a medical crisis like this. She's just intubating the sickest COVID-19 patients morning, noon, and night for two weeks and doesn't have a minute to breathe. Finally, after two weeks, she has a minute to breathe. And with that minute, she takes her laminated article and she goes to the firehouse where she thinks Eugene Puglisi had served as a firefighter. And when she gets there, there's a big sign on the door that says, due to COVID-19 restrictions, no visitors are allowed. So she shrugs her shoulders and she says, maybe it's just not meant to be. She goes back to her next shift, and then her break happens. A bunch of New York City firefighters come to this hospital, to this emergency room, bearing pizzas. And the pizzas are a gesture of gratitude and appreciation. Thank you so much, these firefighters say, to the doctors and the nurses and the whole medical team for being in the front lines of COVID-19. And this Deirdre Taylor decides, maybe now this is my moment. So she strikes up a conversation with one of the New York City firefighters, and she tells him the whole Megillah, the whole story. And then she says, by any chance, could you help me locate this firefighter who saved my life? And he said, happy to try. What's his name? His name is Eugene Puglisi. Oh, Gene, he's a very good friend of mine. I've got his number on my cell phone right now. 
Will you please have him call me? My pleasure. Next thing she knows, Deirdre Taylor's cell phone rings. She answers. Hello, this is Jean Puglisi. I am the firefighter who saved you from that 6-4 fire so many years ago. Oh my God. Oh my God, she says. How do you thank somebody for saving your life? How do you thank somebody for putting their own life at risk in order to save your life? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh really, it was the most important thing I ever did as a firefighter. Can I just ask you one odd, weird question? Ask anything you want. Well, I remember that day so clearly, and I remember getting you from the floor, and I remember walking you down the stairs, and I remember holding you, and your head was cradled in my shoulder. And as I was walking down the sixth flight, I couldn't help but notice that you had blonde hair. Do you still have blonde hair? I do. I do have blonde hair, and I would love nothing more than for you to be able to see the adult version of me and my blonde hair, but I'm with COVID patients. I don't think I can see you now. No matter. One fine day, this will be over, and then I would love to see you. I would love to see you. By any chance, do you like baseball? Love baseball. By any chance, do you like the Yankees? Love the Yankees. One fine day, we'll go to a Yankees game together. Yes. Can I just tell you one thing, Mr. Puglisi? I should have told this to you years ago, but I couldn't find you. Now that I've got you, I just have something I've got to get off my chest. I need to tell you that any good that I've been able to do in my life, it's from you. I need to tell you that anybody that I've been able to help these last weeks in the New York emergency room, if I've helped one person, if I've saved even one person, it was you who saved that person because it was you who saved me. This story of the firefighter who saved a little girl who grew up to become a nurse who went on to save lives in the pandemic. This teaches us one simple truth. There is no limit to the good that we can do. Our decency and our humanity is the most powerful force in the world. Ain Laham Shior, when you do a deed, the goodness cannot be counted, cannot be limited, cannot be contained, cannot be quantified. The courage we show, the love we share, the decency we radiate, the times we listen, the times we care, the times we do, it ripples, it echoes, it is endless, endlessly good, infinitely good, literally not metaphorically. There was no way this firefighter could have ever predicted on December the 30th, 1983, that the four-year-old girl that he would save would go on to save lives in New York's darkest hour. So here's my hot topic for your lunch.
You'll be having Rosh Hashanah lunch, and here's the topic. What infinite good can you do? What infinite good can you do in this new year? Shana Tovah.